Hello and welcome to Walkley Talks. This is the latest in the Walkley Foundation's ongoing podcast series, which brings you the best journalistic talent from Australia and around the world. In this special series, we present sessions from a recent symposium to mark the 50th anniversary of the Australian newspaper. These sessions were recorded with assistance from Sky APAC and Macquarie University. Thanks for the support. This session is devoted to Mark and Opinion Poll Research. Market research doesn't normally figure prominently in newspaper histories. <coughs> Sometimes, in fact, usually it doesn't figure at all. In the case of the Australian, this is something we thought we should rectify, and we're delighted to be able to bring together, thanks really to Terry Bede, the founding research director at News Limited, most of those who's, who've held research positions of, or the position of research director, or its equivalent, at News since 1964, starting with... Terry and moving across to the most recent incumbent in a different form, Heather. Public opinion research is even less likely to figure in newspaper histories. In the case of the Australian, this was something we thought we should rectify as well. And since two of our panellists were subsequently involved in setting up and running opinion polls that serviced the Australian, we're in the happy position of being able to cover the territory without adding to the number of chairs. I'm going to ask the panel to focus on the Australian's market research first and come back to opinion polling later. I'm Murray Goot, the Deputy Director of the Centre for Media History, and I'll be chairing the session. Those who've kindly agreed to serve on the panel, introduced in order of tenure at news, first to last, are firstly Terry Bede on my right, uh, appointed founding research director, as I've said, but of Mirror Newspapers in 64, end of 1963, later became responsible for research in relation to all News Limited publications, including The Australian. In 1966, Terry left, but from 1969 to 1970, he returned to News Limited as a research consultant and part-time research manager. Chris Gibson... Uh, succeeded Terry as research director at News Limited in 1971 and held that position until 1977 when he became marketing projects manager, a position he held until 1979. Sol Libovic, possibly better known due to his more numerous television appearances, joins the research department at News in 1973, is appointed research manager in 1977 and from 1981 to 1985 becomes Group Marketing Services Manager. Matt Ballog, one further along, is the Marketing Services Manager at News from 1989 to 1996. And Heather, Heather White, joined uh, News Limited in 1999 as Strategy Planning Manager within Group Marketing, became Director of the News Intelligence Group in 2005, and has been Head of Audience <coughs> Insights at News since 2011. They've certainly come up with some more interesting titles <laughs> since your day, um, uh, Terry. So, um, Terry, we're often told that Murdoch has a great feel for his newspapers and the audiences they serve, so two quick questions that um, come to mind quite readily. Why did Murdoch want a research department, one that started by servicing <coughs> the mirror, but would come to encompass the Australian, and why did he ask you to establish it? Okay, Murray. Um, I think in answering the uh, 
the first question, why did Murdoch want a research department? Just have to cast back a little bit. The Australian was not yet born. The Australian came on the block in July 64. Um, I found my way into news in the late 63 period and, um, in fact, my letter of appointment signed by Murdoch was to join Mirror Newspapers uh, and the idea was to uh, capitalise on some knowledge that he knew I had uh, and I'll come to how that happened um, but to capitalise on that knowledge to take on the sun uh, in Sydney and make the mirror uh, much stronger as a commercial enterprise as well as uh, editorially. Um, right from the word go, the emphasis was on, on the marketing side of things. Okay, my little story on the side is that at, in those days, um, stroke of great luck for me, in 1960 I scored a Commonwealth Research Studentship at the University of Sydney uh, to do a PhD and I had long been interested in uh, retailing and retail location theory, a fairly uh, airy kind of an area of, uh, of research in those days, not a lot happening but uh, most of it in America um, and I subsequently went there uh, for furthering that uh, interest later in my career. But at that time um, uh, I was also a member of a crew of a champion racing yacht in Australia. Some of you may recall from those days, the Solo. Solo actually finished up doing world cruises and going to the Antarctic and all sorts of glamour things. But in its heyday, it won the Sydney Hobart race twice. I was a member of the crew. And um, as we sort of socialised on the weekends and so on, somehow Murdoch and uh, his wife Pat were invited to come on board and uh, sail with us around Sydney Harbour and uh, go barbecuing over a quarantine and those sorts of things. He was uh, a young young person in those days. So I think Mark was saying 33 was the number. Uh, I was uh, 10 years younger um, and uh, I was very much the baby of our crew. But anyway, in those occasions we started talking about um, the research that I was doing and uh, I had also uh, organised a trio of researchers, myself, Mal Logan, who became, later became the Vice-Chancellor of Monash University, and a guy named David Hain. And between the three of us, we uh, pioneered publication of, a, of an atlas of population change in, in Sydney. And we took the two censuses and compared the changes and mapped it in a, in a series of sheets, which were published by uh, New Zealand following Murdoch's interest in this. He said, bring it in and I'll publish it. So it was published and printed at Cumberland Newspapers, which he had just acquired, and it bore a little logo called News Research. So that was the birth of um, the research facility there. And my emphasis very quickly was on uh, getting the story right, challenging uh, the information that was to hand from the syndicated readership surveys about the predominance of the sun and developing um, a story a marketing story out of a research base for the Mirror. Um, so that I think was was very much um, part of the uh, of the reason why um, Murdoch wanted to to go with it. I, I, I think I was just dead lucky that uh, I was the person there uh, on those days. We went sailing. I met this man, and um, and so a, a friendship built up. And I I actually finished up being sailing master of his own yacht, the Eilina which uh, miraculously escaped disaster about 100 miles off the coast of Tasmania 
in a Hobart race when we fell off uh, a rogue wave. It was the most sickening noise I've ever heard. I was down below off watch at the time and I thought we'd lost the mast and raced up on deck and looked up and it was still there. But then I looked again and all the rigging was just sagging, just hanging, flopping backwards and forwards. So we weren't going to be racing anymore. And uh, had it been um, uh, another circumstance of other waves intercepting at that time, we could have lost a lot. As it was, the boat opened up and we had to, had to pump her all the way into, um, into Hobart and uh, actually retired from the race. On board was, um, was Mr Murdoch and uh, also uh, his Chief Lieutenant Curly Bryden. Um, Curly was a World War II fighter ace who'd pranged his uh, Spitfire on the deck of an aircraft carrier and uh, had to have a plate inserted in his head to um, get the cranium back together again. Um, and Curly fell off his bunk when this incident happened and was out to it for quite some hours. So it was a bit of a worry, the whole thing. Anyway, that's um, a little bit of an aside. Um, but uh, I guess uh, there was this interest in developing a numbers-based argument uh, where the hot cell was probably not quite getting there for the mirror. The hot cell, hard cell uh, sales force were not cracking through to the agencies or the national advertisers. And, and your PhD yeah. research had some relation, this mapping of locations, it did. something that appealed to me. Well, I, I was very much in with the David Jones, the Grace Brothers, Mick Grace and all those sorts of people, um, Charles Lloyd Jones, uh, all those people were people that I had interviewed and become known to and, and I had connections there. And, and in fact, when I joined the, uh, the Mirror, uh, we used to have these boardroom lunches and uh, Murdoch would uh, bring me in to uh, sprout off about what's happening with retailing and uh, so on. He introduced me as uh, Terry Bede. <coughs> Murdoch may have interested in David Jones for the Australian, but he wouldn't have been interested in David Jones for the Mirror. Oh, well, he, he reckoned that it was fair game. We'll have a go. He did. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, okay. that was it. So, th so you, so the connection here was bringing in advertising, but what yes. about where does this flow into the actual research right. <coughs> that you do? Uh, on the if on, it does it all. Well, okay. So what we did, <coughs> um, we we conceived of a plan to put out a competitive readership survey, um, and the the gold standard in those days was uh, the Anderson analysis. They had a distinctive orange and white covered. Um, uh, book which they used to publish every three months or four months or something. Uh, in it, there would be the estimates of the size of the audience, and the mirror was abominable. Was, it was absolutely pathetic against the uh, the sun. And the story, of course, was that the sun had much greater penetration on the north shore and the eastern suburbs. Um, and the folklore was that the mirror always outsold them out in the west. Uh, so I, I said to my people, look, why don't we? take a, a regional approach to this. Why don't we say they can have the North Shore and the Eastern Suburbs, we'll claim the West. So um, we went about designing the survey. We commissioned Anderson to do it as a special once-off survey. And uh, we included uh, Newcastle and Wollongong as well, because we knew we did quite well there. So we talked about it as the primary market area, not just the Sydney market area anymore, uh, and positioned that and, and launched that survey with great fanfare and the promotions manager Graham King, you probably remember Mark, Graham Tri Tripper King I used to call him, he was on the, on the, on the move, uh, he conceived of um, a concept called the Get Set and the Get Set were people who had cash in hand, they didn't 
shop with credit cards like they did in the north shore of the eastern suburbs. They shop with cash in hand in the western suburbs, the southwest, and that was our territory. And we claimed it because we actually found that we led the penetration in readership terms in those areas. So the we had a, a much better account for the mirror. Mirror. Which yeah. okay. mirror. For the mirror. Yeah. 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 Talking mirror. Okay. Yep. Um, now, what happened then, like rolling over to the Australian, yeah. uh, great excitement, of course, from about uh, January or February in 64, when people like Max Newton started to uh, roll into the place, and uh, Walter Common and uh, well, Ken Cowley was down in Canberra. Um, the Australian was getting underway, and I was very much part of that because I was, amongst other things, I shared an office with, uh, with Max there for a while, which was an interesting experience. The place was pretty crowded out, um, but we uh, we shared uh, the, all these facilities and insights and so on. And uh, the suggestion was that I might do a survey uh, in Canberra of the readership of the Canberra Times and anything else that was getting into Canberra, estimate the penetration of the Sydney and the Melbourne newspapers and those sorts of things. So I actually designed a survey uh, based on the uh, uh, ABS census uh, counts of dwellings, and it was a dwellings-based face-to-face survey, administered a questionnaire about what people read in the newspaper, what interested them. I conferred with the uh, with, with Max and, and some of the other guys there about the sorts of questions we should ask. And so there was feedback before we launched the Australian. Um, I don't know that it was given a tremendous amount of credence, um, because a lot of the people coming in in that era, in that team, had their minds made up that they were going to create what Paul was telling us about this morning, something very different, something which they they had a feeling was mm. going to work. Mm. Uh, they didn't need to be reliant upon research, but I think there was a comfort factor in understanding the reading patterns and the racing the racing thing, that whole racing imbroglio started then. I, I, I felt that uh, you know, about four percent of readers, if 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 that, were going to be interested in a racing supplement. And I advised against it, but uh, they said no. We've got to have that, and someone put a number to it. I think six thousand readers or something. Six thousand later, right. later, later on, later on. So probably mm. indicated, but it was a very expensive uh, add-on. Um, anyway, um, so that's that's so, where that. So the that rhythm led. in the in yeah. the couple of years that you were there in the first yeah. stanza. Yeah. What sort of research was established as a routine sort of thing? Was it was it largely ad hoc? Well, the Australian got, of course, covered in the syndicated yep. research, mm-hmm. the, the Anderson analysis, and to a lesser extent, McNair was active in those days. Yes, McNair survey. Yep, yeah, two standards. Um, yeah, so yes. two standards. And, but you'd always get a pathetic sort of an audience estimate out of it, and very little opportunity for uh, demographic profile. Very little demographic. The base sizes okay. were too small. Okay. So uh, we had to try and rectify that. Uh, with uh, stories about um, circulation and uh, other other things. And what's the story when you return? You leave in 66 mm. and you come back in 69 for yeah. a couple of years. Yeah. I, what, I, what happens then? I had an opportunity to go to the US <coughs> and, uh, and return to academia, uh, which I found too tempting, particularly as I just got married and uh, the idea of going to work at the University of Hawaii in Honolulu was yeah. uh, a bit too tempting to turn down. Uh, so <laughs> off we went. But I came back at 68 and um, I, uh, I went, went in and chatted with some of the people where I used to work. Uh, Phil Turton was still there too for some mm-hmm. time. Um, Phil, in fact, was kind of de facto deputy research manager, but John Boyce had left at that stage. Mm-hmm. The guy who I appointed yep. when I left 
he'd gone after about two years, three years. Uh, so Phil was trying to hang it together, but I, I felt that um, it was a good idea if uh, we strengthened the research department, if I had any influence over it at all. Um, and it was difficult because George Viles was the advertising manager in those days. Remember George? <laughs> Very, these are colourful people who are... Uh, George Viles was next to door and he was the standover. And I think <laughs> <laughs> but as, was there yeah. a research agenda you had? I mean, what was yeah. actually going on okay. in uh, the period that you were there? Well, we would have been we would have been taking the uh, the, the numbers from the syndicated yeah. surveys yeah. and converting them into scripts and dialogues for the salespeople to go out and do presentations. That's that's what it was all about. Uh, we 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 wrote hundreds, literally hundreds of submissions, as they were called, and uh, we would brief the advertising sales staff. And they would go out and put it to the agencies and, and get what they could with numbers. And often they would drag me along uh, to parade me as the great expert on population and I'd wax lyrical about uh, yeah. all these sorts Although of things. Although what you could actually get out of the published stuff was very little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We got okay. very little out of it and we had to uh, ad-lib it a bit with uh, okay. circulation data and things like that. Chris, you come along in 71 to pick up the pieces. Well, yeah, I wish I'd known all this good news. <laughs> so, um, when I turned up, there was really not much there. There was a, a guy who produced an ad volume report, I think, and a yeah. couple of others who answered questions when they were asked, if, they, if you could find them. Um, so the good news, I guess, when I started, there was no manual about what the department should do or how it should do it. And fairly quickly, and it was the Australian that we worked on first, because at the time, News Limited only, I think, earned about 20 cents in the ad dollar. And they were keen, clearly, to they needed to, to expand their revenue base. And with newspapers, a large part of the revenue comes from advertising. Retail advertising was fine, and we, we did quite well in that area. But national advertising was where the real, the real money is. They paid a higher rate, and we weren't getting it. And the Australian offered a really a means into that market because it was national and at the time to, to get into the national market as an advertiser you had to buy all of the morning broadsheets very expensive exercise and the, the other I guess the other trick up our sleeve or the thing that we presented was the, the Australian reader as being a very different person it was a newspaper for the thinking Australian we called it we used psychographics for the first time the opinions and attitudes and behaviour aspects of readers, lifestyles, to sell a very different readership. And whether they were from, uh, whether they're academics or business people or professionals or in government, or in fact from any walk of life, said the Australian reader was a, a different sort of person. Did you get into these sort of um, identicates that we heard in we, the previous we, session? We, we sort of, I think it was more internalised. We didn't, there were two identicates. There was one for the advertiser and there was oh, one right. for the editorial. And they were slightly different. Okay. Um, I guess the identicate for the for the editorial person was yep. more likely for the Australian, a professional, um, uh, fairly well established and with families, I recall us looking at families, but we looked more at their the sort of behaviour and the things they were inter interested in and their attitudes more than anything rather than, and to an extent, product use. For the advertiser, we looked at product use. They were more affluent and they were most likely businessmen. Um, but essentially they were opinion leaders in, in whatever area they come from, came from. And their sphere of influence, the numbers were quite small for the Australian. The sphere of influence that they, they exercised was, out, was well outside their numbers. We had to do that. We had to present that case. Um, and it was at a time when the other papers were still talking about basic geography, and basic demographics. We, were, we presented and sold it. most of this work because I was then working on the Australian. We produced a thing called The Different Australian. 
um, and we talked about um, uh, you know, the way in which uh, the, the, this was the go-to person for, for, for within your peer group that you talked to about everything. We said products and services, but opinions and views and so on. But the research itself, I think we were just moving through from the department at the time morphed into much more of a, when I started, there was only a few people, into more of a marketing services department. We had a copywriter, I seem to recall, who wrote the first media column maybe in the Australia, and he was a classic alcoholic we boy out from America who wrote copy for the department but also wrote the media column in the Australian. And we had a, a production person on staff. Um, so it became a, a, a department that had started to get involved in decision-making. We were invited then to the management meetings. We, we, we attended each management meeting alongside the editors and the and managers and the general manager. And we, we advised on issues related to the department. It was a fair change. The information coming through was was becoming of greater quality. The surveys that Terry talked about were really starting to be pushed aside. Morgan surveys started to come out that, to, be, to be developed at that time and he covered a much bigger range of, of, uh, of information from lifestyle to product use on, on a much broader base, much, a much larger sample. Now, the, the, in the early period that, uh, of your tenure, the Sunday Australian was launched. Were you involved in, yeah, the, yes. in the... It was a market research backing for that? Well, there was and there wasn't. The, 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 it was interesting times. Adrian Dima, who was, who was just leaving, I was terribly afraid of. Adrian was a fearful man, but he was also hugely respected. And he left at the time because of perceived interference. We talked about editorial interference in his anti-apartheid stance, I seem to recall, at the time. Um, the Sunday Australian, I think, from my point of view, uh, was seen as another way of developing a bridgehead into the ad market, and that's very much from the research advertising uh, viewpoint. Um, we we did we weren't much help. I've got to say with the Sunday Australian. When we when we researched the paper, it was it was really pre-designed. It was very much I don't know if it means much these days, but a, a true broadsheet in the best Fleet Street traditions. It was launched on the market. The research that we did suggested that readers thought it was a really a must-read. It was a paper of substance and breadth. Um, it was a very large paper, and um, sadly, some of them didn't have the time to read it. Uh, and what, with the benefit of hindsight, was what, one of the things that happened was that those same people happily bought the Sunday Sun or the Sunday Telly or the particularly the Sunday Mirror and didn't have time to read them. But this was just too important a paper to buy and not read, and they, they felt almost embarrassed by doing that. So its sales started to, to hemorrhage slightly, and there were very big costs associated with the paper. So it, it went into terminal decline. Mm. So the, in your time, the influence of your research, firstly on the editorial and secondly on the advertising, how would you characterise Look, it? I've got to say, m most or much of the work we did was with, with advertising. Um, it was where we, we earned our money. It was almost the, the monster that, that had been created in a mm. funny way. Um, but we were, the department was maintained as an independent presence very much, and, and management wanted to do that because we were able to advise and get involved in other aspects of the company, be it editorial production, distribution sometimes. So we were, we were independent of advertising. Mm. But as far as editorial was concerned, um, editors were were, I think, keen to find out who their readers were. They were certainly keen when audiences started to decline to find out what was happening, where, were they, where they were going, and what the alternatives were and where the opportunities existed. So they're pretty much, they're more interested in the, 
you know, in the in the who rather than the how. We wouldn't. So, we what did your them. research tell them about the nature of the audience that was they were losing? It's it's too far back to remember, but changes usually changes in the editorial stance. I think this, this morning referred to the referred to the election, and that internally that was a major issue, mm. and it certainly drove a number of readers from the Australian. But you could time. get that just from circulation figures. You, you could get see it from that straight away without figures. needing to And I guess you could you. guess where it come from. But yeah. there was there was interaction with readers. We could see it yeah. coming through from the readership. Yes. Yeah. Sol, you succeed, Chris, although there's some overlap, yes? Yes, that's right. So you're there, you're a search manager from 77 to 85, but your time at you starts in 1973 when you're appointed research officer working under Chris. What, do you, right. what do you remember of, 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 of the time under Chris? <laughs> <laughs> I, I won't go. I won't go. <laughs> well, I, I, the thing I remember most about Chris was I arrived for work on the Monday, and about 12 o'clock he said, um, why don't we go to lunch? And I thought, this is, I thought, this is very nice. Anyway, when he said it to me on the Thursday after doing it every other day, I said, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> I just want to do some work now. So that's always what I remember most about Chris. But no, it was good working under Chris. And... Um, the thing the time I remember, we had to go and see our clients <laughs> in hotels. They didn't, they didn't that's have right. meetings that's in offices. Where, uh, yeah, that's where they were. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it was very much advertising, sales support driven in those days. And I can remember um, on the Australian, the, the ad director was Brian O'Brien, who'd come from the Herald, um, very old-fashioned sales type person. He'd have a meeting every morning with all his reps, all the senior reps, They'd get all the competitive papers, he'd have a, a ruler, they'd tear out the ads that they weren't getting and he'd give that to a cert, to the rep and the next morning they'd have to say, why wouldn't they advertise in Australia? And if it was someone substantial, then it came back to me and I'd have to do the submission um, based on the numbers and we go into the cost per thousand and all um, kind of thing. One of the interesting stories I remember at those sales meetings, there was, there was a rep there who was quite a colourful character, and he was given a cutting to a menswear store that sold expensive suits. Anyway, Brian O'Brien said to him, how, how did you go? He said, did you sell him any ads? He said, no, nope, but I bought a suit. <laughs> he said, but I don't really need. <laughs> um, so that sort of gives you an idea of the, the flavour at the time. It was, very, it was almost it's like retail selling. That you know, Every ad was chased to try to generate um, readership, uh, generate revenue for the paper. Now, what we did, as Chris mentioned, we came up with this psychographic study because on pure numbers, the Australian didn't have a big enough audience and its circulation wasn't big enough. We knew from the readership surveys, and by then we were very much into Morgan only from memory, um, and it had very good breakdown of like socioeconomic quintiles, ABs and all that. Professional managers was the area where the Australian did very well in as an occupation category to sell business type services and all that kind of thing. And then we came up with this different Australian, which was a psychographic thing, to once to reinforce the fact that it's not the pure numbers, but it's the type of readers you're getting. The other thing that seemed... Were, they, were, the, were the ad buyers um, receptive to that, or they think all this is just bullshit? Um, it was... That was geared more to the advertising agencies, yeah, yeah. and they did tend to, to accept it, right. accept the argument. Whether we saw, I can't remember now whether we actually saw a big increase in 
revenue terms, I don't know. But I think it was quite well received because there wasn't a lot around at that time um, in terms of the psychographics. It was new, it was a buzzword, um, and in fact, you know, it, it did work for the Australia. And it gave the reps one of the things that they found hard at the time was because the numbers weren't that big, an excuse to get back into the agencies and the advertisers. You know, you hear last month and I didn't want to buy you then and so that gave them an excuse to, to make, I've got something new, I've got something different, all that. The other thing that seemed to work quite well for the, the Australian and that started developing that period um, under Chris was the thing called scheduling um, where we started to run for clients say, alright, if you bought you know three issues of the Sydney Morning Herald and three issues of the Telegraph, you would reach X percent of your target audience. One of the things that worked really well for the Australian, because they were different sort of readers, if you took a bit of money out of the other papers and added the Australian in, you could show how you could increase the reach of that advertising campaign quite dramatically. So scheduling became a big deal. Um, and in those days, we, it was before desktop computers, it was all done by time sharing. I remember we had around the back of the office there, we had a little teletype thing, and because it was expensive and time-sharing, you paid for how long you were on the machine, you would punch your input data onto paper tape. So you'd have all this awful paper tape coming here and then some bugger would come and tread on it and you'd have to punch it again. Like, it, it was really hard yakka. So, but the scheduling was, I think, uh, um, something that really helped the Australian in a big way and then that went on and that's very much part of advertising these days in the, the schedule. So they're the main things I can remember on the Oz then. It was, we spoke about the dismissal and that, I can remember the papers burning in front and I, I came back from lunch and I thought, oh, I really work here and I thought, I don't want to work here anymore, I don't need, and I thought, how do I get back into my office? It was, it was quite a horrific um, day that day, I remember, um, going through 75. So that, that was your lunch. <laughs> but you, that's 75, but you stayed till 85, and in that yep. time one would have thought there was some changes in technology and computing that might have fed into the research, yes, or definitely. changes in research design, changes in things you were doing. Were there any developments beyond the psychographics come reasonably early in your period? Yep. Well, in, uh, with the technology, I remember uh, we had the first desktop computer in Newsnet. Limited. Um, the research department or marketing service department as it was called and that was mainly for the scheduling to run the schedules because mm. then on when you had a desktop you didn't you weren't paying by the hour so you could run as many as you liked and didn't cost you any more the other thing that um, Chris alluded to that the research department did provide was the market share reports of advertising um, by lunchtime management and um, all the salespeople knew exactly what proportion of the advertising dollars or advertising centimetres in those days um, had gone to each paper and that's what the ad managers and ad directors were judged on. So that was a big part and getting the desktop, desktop computer made that a lot easier as well instead of doing it on time sharing. So that was a big part of um, the job there. And with the syndicated, the Morgan survey, um, <coughs> as well as mainly being used for advertising, that was then also used to feed in, as Chris said, to management in terms of trends in readership, in terms of demographics going up and down and um, all that kind of thing. It was a constant battle with Morgan that um, I remember, Mark, we never really liked the numbers that we got from... Yeah, it made me sense 
no, they never made any sense. And every time you'd come out every six months and the general manager then was Jim McPherson and you'd get the numbers and he'd say, you better go down and see Gary. So every six months I'd fly down, sit on the plane and say, I don't know what I'm going to say to him this time. And, um, so it, it was a constant battle because they were, and it was more the mirror, was disadvantaged um, because the sampling wasn't that good. As Chris said, the readership and Terry uh, of the mirror was in the west and Morgan's sampling wasn't that good. It was geared to measuring politics, opinion polls. And if it worked in the political sense, it didn't mean it was going to work in a readership sense. So there was a lot of controversy about that kind of thing. During those periods when um, I took over from Chris, uh, one of the things I was interested in was doing more editorial research and that kind of thing. And we started um, doing that more on the tabloids. And I can remember, Mark, you were there one day um, it's the only time I ever thought anyone was going to kick down the two-way mirror. Um, a respondent, I don't really remember this day, you'd spent a fortune buying a book and she waffled on how terrific the book was that she read in the sun and Mark was on the mirror and <laughs> there was all his money and this respondent saying how wonderful it was and she's going to buy the sun for the rest of her life. Um, I don't remember doing a lot of that kind of research on the Australian. It was more on the tabloids. And in that sense, it wasn't used by the editorial side as much as for marketing the papers themselves and the advertising of the, the papers. And I got involved in two, and it, um, to my knowledge, it hadn't been done prior to that, but we started writing advertising briefs to give to the agency for the paper to say how to market that and have a position mm. to say how are we going to promote that paper mm. um, and to try mm. to generate circulation. So when we actually did start to do reader surveys outside the syndicated surveys, they were tended to be used more for marketing and positioning the paper rather than for editorial. Because I can remember being at a meeting with Rupert and um, it was one of the first meetings I went that I was at uh, with Rupert and an editor was under the pump as sometimes they got in those management meetings and he first thing that came in he said he said oh we should do some research and find out what the readers want and Rupert said with all respect to soul we don't need that and I was always sorry after that day the fact that he even knew my name I was so flattered I didn't challenge him or question it um, I just let it go to the keeper but um, and his view then and he said you know a good editor will know what the readers Want and, um, mm. and you know the, the editors knew like they got they put front page out every day they get a circulation the next day they know what's selling and all that kind of mm. so that that would tended to be his view so I didn't get very far with doing research for editorial no. purposes okay. um, and that tended to be the you couldn't topic. stand up to Rupert but you could stand up to Gary Morgan. But you couldn't threaten to withdraw News Limited subscription to the syndicated surveys? Um, it wouldn't I did. make any sense. You did? I did, yeah. Okay. Um, and Roy took me out to lunch with Gary yep. and told me um, how he brought up Gary the, exactly the way he wanted to be. Don't depend on any... I, I can remember. It was just awful. Yeah. Um, you don't have to be nice to people. And all that. I thought you've been 100% successful. Roy said that. And um, we did threaten to, to withdraw. Um, and management then got cold feet. And, and I think the belief was management were unhappy with the syndicated survey. 
But no one knew if he did an alternative whether it was going to be better or not yeah. and to spend all the money. And we now have Emma, um, you know, it's taken all, this, all these years and credit to Heather for getting it off the ground, but it was the early 80s and we got sort of part of the way of doing it, but then it, it fell apart and it was sort of better the devil you know than we don't know what we're going to get kind of thing. Um, so that 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 was all right. Constant battle. Thanks, Sol. Now Matt is uh, comes in not after you, but after John Davis, who's not with us. And John Davis was the group managing uh, marketing serv- manager for marketing services from eighty five to eighty nine, when Matt enters. And Matt oversees the introduction of colour and networking of news limited papers. From a research point. Of from view. research point of view. So tell us about this from research point of view. Um, was it was a time for the media and for news for news of huge change as every most many people here will remember because um, when I came you were talking about the you know the Daily Mirror and the Daily Telegraph well the the research department had been separated off to give the sales reps the opportunity to speak to researchers in private because their number one competitor if they worked for the Daily Telegraph was the Daily Mirror number one competitor for the mirror was the Daily Telegraph so it was a very Newspapers were competing um, entirely with themselves. Uh, the organisation was growing uh, globally enormously. So I think I came probably just after Australia was kind of stopping being the centre of the universe for it. The Times had been acquired, and I think the, the Times group were pretty much a model of where much of what was going to happen with newspapers in Australia was going to be, and particularly the the Times themselves and the Sunday Times were the model for the Australian in many ways. Um, and the British market was enormously different because there was a huge amount of national advertising money in newspapers, vastly more newspapers, much bigger market, and that money wasn't around in Australia if you competed for the newspaper advertising dollar. So I think the main thing that happened during my eight or so years was a shift in attention for where money would come from, from being from other newspapers, which by and large we owned anyway, mm. um, uh, to other media. So Sol talked about the reach and frequency schedule thing, and when I walked in there was these couple of things. I'm not sure, I think it would be kind of a compliment to call them desktop computers, but... Um, they did something a bit like a computer uh, to this competing for advertising enormously with reach and frequency schedules which basically plan media in a comparable way to what TV did and radio. So during the period that the focus of the sales teams that had all changed enormously um, uh, was fortunately, very wisely, from other newspapers to, um, uh, to other media. Um, apart from anything, of course, the number of newspapers shrank quite significantly because we had the, the mergers of quite a lot of the, the tabloids, the news in Adelaide closed, so you know the, the Adelaide advertiser couldn't just compete for the news. The Australian had, if you looked at it that way, the Fin Review and Sydney Morning Herald and the Age as its competitors, but the papers in, in terms of their um, revenue structures were radically different because mm-hmm. Fairfax papers had what was then print classifieds and so on. So you had to compete in national te- using national technology against national media. And so that changed dramatically. And um, uh, in my later time, later years, uh, Jerry Harris was the advertising director. And he was 
brilliant at that. So the department changed enormously. The market changed enormously. Um, and the, the whole culture and view of the organization changed because by the time I was leaving, uh, Foxtel was being born. Uh, pay TV was seen as the great um, uh, new media of the time. And it, while it was a great new media of the time, another media was also being born at the same time, which at that time we completely ignored. Everyone laughed at and it was called the internet. Um, and nobody, expect, nobody expected that to be um, significant. If we get a chance, there's a, a little video. But the vision of what electronic media and advertising would do to newspapers was similar to what actually has come about today, tablets and things, but it had nothing to do with the internet. So the, it was all about the changing revenues and it was all happening so fast that you know the I'm sure the advertising sales managers were were in a spin the other thing that happened was the for want of a better word the nationalization of advertising sales which looking back on it 20 years later is no brainer but at the time it was sent people reeling in shock which was that you had advertising sales teams for each publication who never ever spoke to the other advertising sales teams, they were usually their number one competitor before any other. And that all merged into Newsnet, and the Australian was part of that. So um, apart from local sales, you wound up with these advertising sales people who in those days, or for some years, were in North Sydney, probably into your era briefly, and they were going out and representing a whole, the whole set of newspapers. Mm -hmm. So how they did that was obviously very different in the reach and frequency schedules from having just the Australian and the Finn Review for the Australian now had 20 publications in them. So there was a lot of change. <laughs> and in that period, are there changes in the technology that impact on the sort of research capacity or research methods? Um, yes, there was change, enormous change in technology for newspapers because we went to Carlo, we moved to Chalora. Um, mm. That was tied in, you know, obviously, to the move to competing for national advertising and advertising from revenue from other media because one of the big stories of colour was that you can do glitzy national brand creative advertising like examples from the UK and the Times um, and not have to compete with newspapers in black and white so much. So all of those things tied in. Um, in those days, this possibly may be the, still the same language, but the, the Australian or all the newspapers went to Chalora by, we called it by fax, and it was a form of fax. I, I don't know if they still use that word. but um, And the department went from having these two boxes to highly computerised and um, changing from a world where there was occasionally terminals to people sat at keyboards and that's how you, how you did. But the sorts of things that you were doing <coughs> in a research department the concepts you were using, the measures you were using, was there any relationship between the technological change and any of these? Did, did, did those things change at all? The concepts, um, the notions of audience, anything at all like well, that changed? The, 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 the biggest time? thing was trying to look at other uh, media and compete for a share of people's to show that newspapers were a share of people's attention and time and credibility mm -hmm. in general, and the Australian obviously was, was a very important slice of that because it had a, a very defined part of the market, whereas if you looked at, say, the telly and the, the Herald Sun, etc., 
very similar profiles to you. So Australian was a, had a, a unique place in that combination. And taking that to agencies and trying to show the outcome of that audience in the same language and style, reach and frequency schedules, that TV and radio did. Um, so uh, very much so. Mm. Okay. Good, thanks. And Heather, sorry it's taken so long. Okay. <laughs> um, you succeed Leanne Smith as the marketing services manager in 1998. She's there from 1996 to 1998. But the position you filled was that of strategy planning manager at News Limited, not marketing services manager. And from 2005, you become the director of the News Intelligence Group. How does your re how does your remit as the director of the News Intelligence Group differ from your original remit as the strategy planning manager? Okay. Well, to start off with, I actually came in in the strategy planning manager role. Was really about um, there had been, as everyone along here has actually mentioned, a lot of focus on research being about selling advertising quite frankly, and um, there, was a, there was a demand to actually understand readers more and our audiences more from the perspective of what that meant from an editorial and marketing point of view. But in the day-to-day -day of, of the um, marketing services teams around the country, and they still existed when I started as well, by the way, um, but the, around the country, and they were just, you know, bang, 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 helping get proposals out to clients, going and visiting clients with sales reps and keeping the money coming in the door. Because quite frankly, you need the money coming in the door or there's no paper, there's no editorial, there's no anything. But our editors and our marketers were saying that nobody has enough time for us. We don't have enough time to explore things, to understand things or any of those things. So there was a real change in the... In, because media was changing, our competitors were changing, who were fighting much more for time and audience um, as newspapers, there was a demand to actually understand those readers better and engage with them better and to know them better. And that's where research was falling in. So some of the things that, so that was really why I came into the role was because I actually came from a consumer um, research background understanding consumers being my primary thing. At Morgan Research, you were at Morgan Research? So I'd been at Morgan's, I'd been at Millwood Brown, right. and um, so it had been consumer-based research and it had been about brand, it had been about, so with Morgan's it had been about audience and various other things, and in fact, um, News Limited was one of my clients, and I actually worked on the Australian as one of, ah. uh, so I worked on a project on the Australian um, when we're talking about demographics and things like that, I was, um, when I went to Morgan's, I was actually worked on um, value segments. Yes. And so I worked on a, on a project specifically for the Australian. You've got to say what value segments are. Yeah, so value segments are a psychographic um, segmentation tool um, that Morgan's developed with um, Colin Benjamin. Um, and that had 10 different segments. And the main segment for the Australian was actually a group called Socially Aware. And so, and, and as that name suggests, the people who were, and all of these guys have done the same research that says the same things about the Australian audience, that they think, that they care about things, that they want to know more, and that's what socially aware is about, and also that they like to spend money, and, and it's not all about being green or any of those things, they're intellectually interested, but still like to have the Armani suit <coughs> as it was back in the 90s. Um, that's a while ago now. But that... That, that kind of that concept and so I was doing research on that to, 
for um, the Australian. So my actual experience with the Australian actually goes back to before I started. But you have a much more positive view about Morgan's research than, say, Seoul seemed to have. <laughs> Used to pay away as well, wouldn't you? <laughs> really? Really? Really, I spent 10 years, 10 years of every day having, pretty much every day having every quarter, because by the... You were lucky, Sol. It was only every six months. Uh, it was every quarter for me that the audience figures would come in, or, or the readership figures, actually, because they weren't audience figures because they didn't, they didn't necessarily go across all platforms as they do now um, with the new Emma software. And we didn't, necess we, we didn't necessarily back then have... Um, we didn't have all the platforms either. Um, when, I first was, when I first started, the internet was still nascent and uh, we, while the Australian might have had one of the first news websites out there, um, we didn't weren't ha it didn't have the kind of reach of audience that it has now. So, uh, so yes. So um, I used to continually have fights with Roy Morgan. I would have many fights with well, not with Roy himself, but no, with, no. with Gary yeah. uh, Morgan. Um, I used to have flights down to Melbourne myself uh, oh. to go and have a discussion about why can't we seem to capture the Australian audience? Yeah. Why does the audience for the Australian, the AFR, the these two titles. Why do they jump up and down so much? Because they used to swing wildly yeah. from um, period to period. Why can't you measure the Weekend Australian magazine? Why can't you actually get a, a, a number for this? Why is it so low when we know that we're circulating this much and that the audience is like this and when we do our own research we know people are reading it? Why can't you get these things right? So we're continually having those discussions um, and eventually as an industry came together and yes. That's much more recent, that's right. That's, so, yeah. um, and came together and mm. went, this isn't actually working for us anymore. This methodology, this way of doing things yep. isn't working for the industry anymore. With audience, um, there's technology out there that can be used and harnessed better to measure our audiences. How do we use that? And how do we work with the people like the Nielsen online ratings? Because guess what? Digital's really important. Mm. It's a lot of our audience. It wasn't being measured properly, no. and we couldn't combine it together with the print audience, which still is a very big and important audience for us. Before we get uh, say something more about that, you're associated with a number of pretty significant firsts at, at News Limited. One is the brand tracking program. Can you tell us about the brand tracking program? Well, before, for a very long time, um, and still we still struggle with the concept. But newspapers aren't just a piece of Thing, um, that sits on the paper. They're actually a brand. And um, our editors and our marketers, the marketers understood that they were a brand, but our editors struggled for a very long time to conceptualise the idea and the concept that they were a brand and, and that they actually have brand values and, um, and that they stand for. They knew that they stood for something, but they didn't understand that it actually stands for something that sits beyond the paper itself. And multi-platform has actually helped that process, I think, um, understanding that this brand lives on in people's minds above and beyond what happens on the printed page. So the Brand Health Monitor was actually one of those things. And I actually worked with Matt Ballock, because he, <coughs> he was my researcher. <coughs> small world, very small world. Um, and we worked on, we built this, uh, a brand tracking study. Leanne Smith was actually involved in it and um, then it started and then I had to, I took it over from her. What does a brand tracking study do? And the brand tracking study was to look at the perceptions of the brand. Um, it ran every day of the year, mm. um, or 48 weeks of the year, 
um, interviewing people, asking them their opinions on various attributes. So, for example, one of them was about sensationalism, which was kind of quite important to um, the tabloids. Um, understanding when they'd gone too far, perhaps, with a story. You could actually see it spike up if, when, um, if, if for one of the brands around the country, if, it, if they probably stepped over the mark as far as their readers, their readers were concerned and their non-readers. Um, and, um, you know, so that we were measuring... Have you got some secrets about the Australian you can share with us? <sighs> as Philip Adams would say, it's only you and me. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Australian, not surprisingly, is, was, you know, was a pretty steady brand. In, but one of the things is it's a very well-established and well-known brand, as in that it exists out there, but not. it's still, relatively speaking despite it, its big influence, and these guys have talked about it as well, is, is that it actually doesn't have the largest audience in the world, but that audience is very influential. Um, so, But ev everyone pretty much knows what it stood for and that it stood for national and um, important things and about being informative and those sort of things, more so than other papers. When you say influential, Lee, who, who, who does the audience influence? The audience mm. influence. Mm. Um, the audience would influence other people that they talk to. So they would see it as because they like to talk. Mm. When you get, um, if you ever get um, Australian readers into a focus group, you cannot keep them quiet. Seriously, they're just, they just, and they're very opinionated and they're yeah. very. Um, they're, very, they're great. They're fantastic. Actually getting them to the focus group, on the other hand, is the really hard thing. And you really have to partner really hard with your research company to actually get them. Um, because they're busy. They're, you know, they're out influencing people. They're not wanting to sit in a room and, and talk. <laughs> Once you get them in the room, they will talk away. All right, another one. The, the interactive readers panel. Okay. So. When's that established and what is it? That was established in about 2006. Um, and so basically we actually recruited um, people from ads in our papers across the whole country because at this time, by this time my role was, had actually moved to completely national um, in terms of consumer. So I had just been looking after the Australian and um, the Telegraphs, or what was the Telegraph Mirror when I started. Um, and from a consumer point of view and looking after the, the brand tracking with the, with the um, move to a reader panel. So the one thing that didn't work so well with editorial um, with the reader panel is we used to have lots with the brand health tracking. It was great for marketing people, but it wasn't quite as good for editorial as we might have hoped because it would always come up with why, 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 why is that? Why has my score on something gone up and it didn't have so much of the why? It was a tracking. It told you tracking, it didn't tell you why. And any editor worth their salt wants to know why. Because um, how can you change things if you don't know why? Or how can you keep doing the right thing if you don't know why? So um, we recruited these people to go on an online panel. Um, we had very, very generous incentives, I might add, um, to get these people to join and participate, and we would uh, and we would survey. Um, we had a survey company running it for us, and we would have we'd ask them questions, and we work with editorial about what those questions would be. So we would test things. Um, so you know, I'm thinking about 
I'm thinking about whether I want more of these of shares, for example. Do we do we still need to run shares figures? Surely everyone looks on the internet. Do we still need to have shares figures appearing in the paper? Might be an example of a question that will come to me from editorial, and we could actually go and ask people um, what they wanted. Okay, the limitation of this is, of course, is they are your most involved readers, they're most engaged with you, so it is not the general view, but it's a guide and it was a starting point and. Sometimes it will, it, off that would flow the need to do some more, more investigative um, research with other, with a broader group of readers. And how does this differ from a third innovation of yours, the online focus groups? Uh -huh. So online focus groups, and we actually did this specifically for the Australian, um, because with the with technology comes some th good things. Um, it's as I said, sometimes it's quite hard to get um, Australian readers in a room to do focus groups. So we had like folk, we, and also it's quite hard um, and very expensive to do it across the whole country. We often would have to be going, oh, well, do Eastern Seaboard or do we throw in Perth or which which Eastern Seaboard state do we leave out? Um, or we, well, we think, well, we know everything about Sydney. Do we really need to do Sydney? But we don't know as much about Melbourne and Queensland's such a big market for us, you know, having to make, having to toss those things up. So the, having an online um, process for being able to do that and actually um, put things in front of people was great. Um, we were experimenting with that. We experimented a bit with that. Um, kind of gone back or moved back away from it, but we use it from time to time when it's appropriate. But we did have a panel going for about um, about two years where we would. And you know the most interesting, one of the interesting things about the the people, the Australian readers on that that panel was that whatever the discussion was, it would always come back to politics. Doesn't matter what we fed in as something, politics would crop up on all on its own, and it would always be the chatter would always be about something about politics. Um, it was always great. Oh, it was, but there was a lot of information that was quite hard to get all of that information to editorial, to be honest. Um, but great. And, and you also are involved in the launching of, of new magazines like The Wish and The Deal, which aren't particularly political. No. Uh, and this, uh, so I presume more editorial interest in that. Where does the research come into the yeah. launch of those magazines? Well, this is really interesting because um, we, we actually did quite a lot of work on, um, on, for example, one of the first things that I we had discussions about, when we were having discussions about the Weekend Australian Magazine, what is now called the Weekend Australian Magazine. But when I started, it was actually called the Australian Magazine. And we had many discussions and um, about you know, what we could do. Is Was there anything that we could do that could improve the readership? And I went, well, if we call it the Weekend Australian Magazine, maybe our readership will improve. So we went through a redesign and, and, and fixing things up as a process of that. But, and it did actually lift our readership. Um, it was amazing because it actually sat in the weekend paper that was called the Weekend Australian, and um, the name of the and so on the basis of that, we, there was some redesign work. We did redesign work on that that was successful. Readership grew again. Circulation grew again on the back of that. So there was a bit of um, success seen around uh, research. So when we want, wanted to launch a new magazine, perhaps we could do some research on it, Heather. Oh, great. Okay. So we went through iterations of testing 
the kind of things that people wanted to read about would this we did a lot of testing on the name wish went back and forth and had a lot of uh, things we brought 250 people into the Holt Street offices on, across a weekend and did what is called central location testing research, uh, bringing all these what I call AA readers, as in AA social socioeconomics, not just AB, but the creme de la creme, because this is who the magazine was mostly targeted at, mm. um, with very um, expensive products in it. Mm. It was a wish. As the name suggests, it's wish, not necessarily everything. It's aspirational. Um, not everybody could have all the things, but you could look at it. Uh, but we wanted to people who could at least afford to have some of the things in it. Not everyone can afford the cars in it, but you know maybe they could afford some, the watch in it or something. Um, so we brought the, those people in, and and it was great as well from an editorial point of view of actually seeing what your readers look like or your potential readers look like, because they would hide up the back. <laughs> Did you want to say something, Chris? No, no, no. No, no, right. So just to round out the story, um, you finish up in a, in a world now, which is very different from the world you entered, so the world of big data, as yeah. well as the world of Emma and the new you know, ways of measuring audience. Hmm. I mean, it is a very different world. Digital, I mean, ha having digital data means that there is big data out there. We can look at every second of the day if we want to, if we've got the capability to do so, of what people are clicking on, how long they're, they're dwelling on there. But one of the things that that doesn't give you is who they are. And so you need to combine things like the Emma data that tells us the who's. Um, you better say something about Emma. Uh, Emma. Yeah. Yes, that's the um, Enhanced Media Metrics Australia measurement. So it's been developed in conjunction with um, the, Reddish, the Newspaper Works, which is the industry body for newspapers, um, the MPA, so the Magazine Publishers of Australia, uh, the um, MFA, the Media Federation of Australia, and it's um, a new audience metric for print primarily, but it has other channels in it as well. And by print, I mean print across platform. So it includes tablets, it includes mobile, and it includes web. And the web information actually comes from Nielsen online ratings and gets brought in together. Because the days of being able to ask one person everything in a survey are long gone. Uh, the, way, the, the best way of measuring digital is not asking people questions. It's actually having a panel and having traffic data and combining those two things together to get audience metrics. That's the better way of measuring this because you actually can measure it that way. We're still with print, we have to rely on people's memories, but with digital, the digital now with digital big data, you can actually collect what people are doing as they do it. Um, and But you need something to identify who those people are and they're generally panel, identify those people as in demographics and things like that. And the general way of doing that around the world is by a panel. Now, finding one research supplier who can do everything, it's very hard these days, um, which is why you need research companies to come together to do these things, which we're very fortunate in the EMMA process that we do. We have Nielsen working with Ipsos Media C2 who actually do the readership survey. All right, on that note, I'm going to switch briefly to the question of the Australian and opinion polls and the reference, Matt's reference to Australia as a cue for 
Terry because ANOP has a connection with NOP, National Opinion Polls, Nationwide Opinion Polls in Britain, is where the name comes from. And Terry is the person that founds ANOP, and I want him to tell us about how he comes back to the um, <clears throat> comes back to the Australian um, and leaves in 1970 to found ANOP. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, as I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, when I when I first joined News back in late '63, early '64, um, I was on the horns of a dilemma because I had actually been appointed um, to a lectureship in New Zealand, and um, I was. Uh, uh, going to take that up, but uh, Rupert Murdoch's uh, conversations with me while sailing uh, sparked this interest, and uh, I detected a real interest there. And um, I remember him saying, "Look, Terry, <clears throat> we're only young once, and I've got some great plans for the future. So make your mind up." So <laughs> I went and discussed it with my uh, PhD supervisor, who said, "Well, Terry," he said. You don't go to New Zealand, you'll never know what it was like to have been a lecturer in New Zealand. <laughs> so and there we left it. Now, similar yeah. circumstances uh, came up in 1970 um, when I had returned from a couple of years, of two and a half years overseas, teaching in universities and so on. There I was. I still had a, uh, an ongoing interest in the, uh, in the research side of the, of the company um, and was appointed a consultant. And uh, it was about this time that uh, John Menadieu came on the block as general manager of the Australian, um, he had been serving uh, in the um, uh, as an advisor to Whitlam at the time. I think ex ABS man, uh, very well credentialed, good understanding of numbers, and uh, politically motivated. And there was a feeling around about that the, the Gallup poll was in some ways what well, was the only act in town. So it was a monopoly. This is still Morgan. Yeah, Morgan. And there was suspicion, uh, according to Menadieu and others, that it was um, a little bit biased towards uh, the, the, uh, the Menzies liberal type uh, scenarios. Um, and there was, there was deep suspicion, I must say. Anyway, uh, at this time, uh, whether it was Murdoch himself or Menadieu leaning on, on and having conversations with Murdoch, out of it came a letter from Lewis Harris in the US offering to set up an opinion poll in Australia. Also one from Sim Rubinson from Marplan here in Australia, but with American connections and methodologies. And then one from Associated Newspapers, which was half owner of NOP market research in the UK. Um, that... I remember seeing uh, Murdoch's letter to Harris saying uh, it was a little bit expensive, he would do better elsewhere. Um, and uh, then the uh, AN uh, uh, correspondence built up and a chap named Mick Shields came to Australia and met with Murdoch and I was called into the meeting and uh, within a week it was decided uh, that an offer would be made to me to, to, to set it up. On the basis that I go to London, uh, work with NOP, study their methods, come back and set it up. So that's, uh, I, I found that, again, was one of these we're only young once uh, scenarios, um, and I was still reasonably young, and uh, looking forward to uh, a very exciting challenge, and uh, and took it on, uh, with a lot of unknowns ahead of me, I must say, and um, a lot of uncertainties, but uh, I think at the end of the day we, uh, we succeeded in our mission, which was to provide a viable alternative to the Gallup Pop. 
And so the questions you asked yes. were more sympathetic to the Labour's position than Not Roy's no. questions were? Uh, no, it was a difference of methodology. Morgan used to carry a ballot box around with him. Yep. Um, and people would, you know, presumably uh, write out their yes or no, whatever, ALP, Liberal. It was top the, the question. Yeah, right, yeah. Yep. Uh, ours was um, a simple question which had been used for donkey's years by NOP. Uh, we just modified it to the Australian conditions. Uh, if there were an election tomorrow, who would you, you know, to which party would you give your first preference? First preference in Australia. Um, so we used uh, that methodology. But I must say that we set about uh, differentiating ourselves from Gallup and getting away from the uh, mysticism, because uh, Roy Morgan was regarded as a, as a bit of a mystic who had magic insights or whatever. Uh, what I did was to write up the methodology. I can confer with Don Aitken mm. um, and uh, also brought um, uh, Ken, uh, Keith Archer onto my board. He was the former Australian statistician. And we set about writing up a methodology statement which we published and gave to every parliamentarian in Australia. So no question about how it was done. And it was very cleverly uh, designed as an exercise in sampling which would stand up to any rigour, any test, in the meantime, all you ever got from Morgan was a one-page radio sheet with a few notes uh, about how representative it was, how that the Gallup method was the most representative method in the world, full stop. No more in, uh, explanation of how the sample sizes varied or how there was any stratification. But what about the questions you were asking? Leaving aside the very yep. intention one. Yep. Um, yes, this is interesting. Well, Menager actually um, uh, prevailed in that area by uh, being a bit of a go-between with the editors and they would submit uh, preferred questions, the sorts of topics they wanted us to look at. So I call these question areas. We'd have a roundup of question areas, and we did start out doing these polls quarterly, and they were all face-to-face -face interviews. Um, very, very expensive uh, survey research, let me tell you. Um, and um, uh, these, these questions would be fashioned uh, with some consultation with NOP, and at the end of the exercise, we published a, the ANOP newsletter and had a subscriber list of a couple of hundred uh, around Australia who mm. were interested in it. Uh, and there were full write-ups of everything, methods, uh, the questions, the results, the, our interpretations as well. But um, importantly, um, that came out sometime after yeah. the uh, publication of the results. And our, I think our chief protagonist was uh, Rams, Alan Ramsey. Mm. Um, Alan used to come over to our headquarters in North Sydney and work all day with us as we spilled out the results from the... Uh, we used to get the results computed out at uh, Rosebury at the IBM Centre. It was the mm. days of punch cards. Um, and we'd all go to it and, uh, and generate the stories. And uh, I will remember that um, on one of these occasions, I think one of our big occasions in 1972, April... 15th or so, 72, uh, front page headline story, 30 seat, 30 seat uh, win tip for ALP in snap election. That was all over the front page. And um, it went to press. Uh, it, they outsold themselves. Um, Ken Cowley came to me and said, Terry, that was a fantastic result. I didn't hear him say that again, by the way. Uh, later Which in election was this? And he gave me uh, 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 the matrix of the uh, of the front page as yeah. a souvenir. And how long so. before the election was this poll taken? 
Yeah, November was the election. So. Yeah, but meant, so so April. We, we were, oh, I see. Yeah, I yeah. see. Right. Now, what, I wonder what, how you got a figure of thirty yeah. when it was actually such a close election. Yeah. Well, what, what, well, what was happening was yeah. that uh, ANOP tracked for the whole the entire yeah. year, yeah. right up in the in the high wind sort of situation. And Morgan and was very different. Morgan was the Went dead opposite. Right. And in the last two weeks, Morgan suddenly shot up in a turnaround yeah. which would be unprecedented in any part of the world. Yeah. So uh, that was a. That was a, a, a crowning sort of achievement, yeah. which led to lots of changes in the in the landscape of public opinion polling mm. in this country, because uh, Morgan was interviewed <coughs> after the election before it was printed after uh, the election. It was printed after the election, election, yeah, just before, before the election. Mm. And amongst one of these famous sayings was that I don't need to look at the computer printouts; I know who's going to win the election. And um, uh, that was quoted, I think, by Evan, Evan Williams or someone. The uh, ben Long Collar by the back of the Sunday Telegraph. Right. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think Evan Williams. Was Evan Williams there then? I don't know who was. Might have been. Yeah. I think it was Evan. I thought he yeah. said he looked at the figures and then adjusted them. Yeah, right. He just said he told the boys to go away. Yeah, he said, yeah, no, I'll no, tell no. you what the story yeah, is. I'll tell you what the story is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he was forced to yeah. boast, which probably cost him the contract. Well, I did. It changed everything. It, they, it, they, we can argue whether that yeah. cost the contract with yeah. the Herald Weekly Times or the fact that Gary would be taken over in 73 cost the contract. Yeah. Uh, Chris, you were a client of Terry's, is that right? Briefly, yes. Yeah. We, yeah. You've got readership figures. Readership figures. We, I think one of, the, one of our worst efforts at News Limited was releasing a magazine called Business Week. And Murdoch had decided to move heavily into this uh, elitist magazine or publication area to make more money, so we launched uh, a publication, Business Week. I, from the sins, used to also handle circulate or subscriptions for this magazine. Um, early research showed that the business community didn't connect with it at all, they in fact hated it. Uh, it. There was a mercy put down, luckily, because the, I remember the magazine ran a story, a front page interview uh, with a, a businessman. Uh, who unfortunately deceased, and the interview was meant to have been conducted in the period since he deceased. <laughs> so that was the end of the, the business week. But we did do other work on the Sunday Australian, which was That's interesting. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, as I said, it was a difficult measure with the Sunday Australian because yeah. it was well accepted. It was more mm. a very subtle way of you know, how, did, how did the consumers relate to it and how could they use it. Mm. Um, and there was a, just an inexorable drive by the, remember, UK editor to have his grand broadsheet and he was fairly uncompromising about changing the paper and mm. it didn't work in that way. I also worked for Gary Morgan too. Yes, defense. but in defence, <laughs> that was later and it wasn't in Australia. No, 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 no right. That's all right. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> but uh, on polls. On polls, that's right. Sol, where do you, you, you come in and uh, you're there when spe you get Spectrum. Yeah, well after... after ANOP departs in 74. ANOP departs in 74. Whenever it started, and the Australian didn't have any polling for a while. Yeah. Um, and then around election time, there was a, a desire to get some polling around the election, so the Australian had coverage. So I then organised Spectrum um, to do the polling. Um, and we, talking to Spectrum, we decided we'd go telephone. The Morgan Gallup poll was always face to face, done on the weekends. Um, Sampling wasn't as good. It was what they call a clustered sample. They'd go to one house and they'd do ten or six in that one street. So if you did a thousand, you weren't getting a random sample of a thousand different locations in Australia. If it was a cluster of ten, you'd only have a hundred. Telephone, that whole concept of clustering didn't apply. So telephone had <coughs> a lot of sampling benefits. It also had a lot of benefits in some timing. You could do it much more quickly. 
So we did telephone polling for the Oz and they were very accurate through Spectrum. Um, but it didn't last. Well, it, it didn't last because it got superseded. Um, Ken Cowley said to me one time out on the harbour, we were on a cruise in the <laughs> Here we go. The, I hadn't realised the connection was there. Um, he was sick. The, the bulletin were very strong with the Morgan Gallup poll. After Herald Weekly Times dropped the Gallup poll, um, it then went to the bulletin. And every fortnight on a Wednesday morning, the bulletin would come out and the bulletin would get heaps of coverage on all radio TV about the latest results from the Morgan Gallup poll. And Ken Cowley says, I want one of them for the Australian. And um, I think as Terry said, when you're young, you're a bit stupid and you think, yeah, that's not a problem. I'll, I'll organise one of those. So that's how news poll started. Um, the model was a bit different to Terry's. We decided that it was hard starting a research company from scratch and getting interviewers and all that kind of thing. So what we did, we did a joint venture with a market research company um, called Yan Campbell Hall Wheeler. We used their interviewers and we set up a separate company, News Poll, which also ran an omnibus to give it a revenue stream. Um, <clears throat> and that's how News Poll started. And we started in 85. October 85 was the first poll. Um, and it was once again a battle with Gary Morgan, as it was with readership, in terms of um, he, he went into print with all these accusations. One of them was that you couldn't believe or uh, what was it? You couldn't trust or believe any of our figures. The telephone poll, you didn't, want tele didn't like telephone poll. No, you didn't like news poll. No, no news <laughs> poll particularly. Yeah, particularly. So, um, yep. so it went through all that shen yep. shenanigan shenanigans with Morgan and all that kind of thing. And it took, um, I thought it would take a year or two to get established, but to get, to get the credibility, it probably took five to eight years. Yeah. Um, but eventually delivered on the brief that Ken Cowley wanted. It was the one that got quoted. Um, was there a turning point? Because you're quite right, it doesn't happen in the early 90s, it's still the Morgan Poll is the standard, it happens ACP sometime after dropped the that. Morgan Poll. ACP dropped the Drop, Morgan uh, Poll. So it's in when the Morgan Poll disappears. It was a huge, it was a front there. That's right. He brought dust up with uh, Richard Walsh and Kerry Yeah, Jackson and because he got it, he got, got one poll, wrong. got it terribly it's wrong. That's right. Um, I forget which, right. that must have been the 93 election, was it? 93, wasn't it? No, it was before, I think it was He got it before that, yeah. Before that, it was in, I was in New Zealand. It was 1991. Oh, was it? Okay, I can't remember the election, but um, he keep he kept doing it even when he lost the uh, bulletin contract. Kept doing it, but I, in a sense, I know by the '96 election, it was sort of news poll was pretty well the one. So it happened some time before that. But I remember um, because someone did a cartoon for us um, and said. Mr. Howard, you don't need to organise polls, just commission news poll. Um, the 96 we got just so close, it was amazing. Now you're also, I won't ask you this, Sol, but there'll be people on the table who would have commissioned readership survey from news polls. Is that right, Matt? Um, well, the, the main... Too. Yeah, sorry, Matt, but um, put her on notice. Is that right? But the, the main readership survey during my period came from um, Morgan, and um, I think that the, the role of the research manager was characterised by being basically an infantry person put up to battle Morgan. Um, but there were quite a lot of um, more tactical research projects, many of which would have gone to, um, to Newspol. Uh, not so much, generally for the organisation, um, not so much for the Australian. <coughs> 
Heather, in your time? In my time, we did some tests because we wanted to find out if what the difference would be between doing the and particularly looking at the Australian, if you could do a national survey on the telephone. Yeah, you could. Um, which has subsequently a long time afterwards, and we're talking. I, we did these tests a long time. They weren't numbers that went into the public arena or anything like that, but we did do tests to see what different methodologies would do as a publisher so that we could go back and talk to Roy Morgan about our concerns, so about some things. And so, oh, yes, NewsPoll okay, has did some tests for us. Yes. Okay. So, Sol helped me with some of those things. Yep. second one a little bit beyond our remit. Okay. The first one, the simple answer is that there's a difference between circulation figures, which are uh, readership figures, sorry, circulation figures and readership figures. Um, and what members of the panel have been talking about have been largely readership figures rather than circulation figures, but there is a, always a question when the readership figures come out and are out of sync with changes in the circulation figures. It's, that's been the it's kind of this elastic number which is the relationship between the two which we call readers per copy or rpc and it's not always a consistent number and a very very small change in the readers per copy from say mm. 3.621 to 3.623 can cause basically the readership to go one way while the circulation goes the other way and that usually involves the editor belting and the research manager and saying this is not possible well, readership's historical too. It comes out well after the event, yep. and uh, readership can also suggest that circulations are maybe overstated. There is there are two separate audits, if you like, of performance. The audit bureau of circulation has now um, adopted a scheme from some years back in which there are about five or six measures of uh, circulation, depending on. An, from hard copy and stuff given away at airports right through to people downloading through subscription or otherwise. Um, a circulation manager or research manager who's told that, that the difference between 3.21 readers per copy and 3.23 is really something that we ought to be thinking about, anyone who takes that seriously shouldn't be in the job. Those figures are completely meaningless. I assume it's been the case for everyone's experience, but the readers per copy for the Australian traditionally um, compared to um, other mainstream newspapers is going to be high because it's got this business focus and it has a high proportion, at least probably these days it's all electronic, but in my day, high proportion of copies went to offices and uh, office 
delivery yeah. meant a very high readers per copy because there was you know much more exposure to eyeballs than a copy that just went to a household. So traditionally, um, when it came to readers per copy, the Australians, uh, as as would be true for the Fin Review, but the Australians done very well compared to you expect for what's now at the tabloids. But the thing with readers per copy, uh, with readership, it's a different measure. Um, and like circulation is the number of copies sold, and certain publications, as Matt said, the Australian have more readers per copy who actually read it. And from an advertising point of view, it's the number of readers that are exposed to the ads. So it is important to measure readership um, that is different to circulation. It's a very valid measure, and it's the one probably more relevant to advertisers. The, the debate that we always had with Morgan was is when that relationship wasn't a constant, but one time it would be high and another time it would be low, yeah. and it didn't make sense. That's right. readership but readership is the, m the more important statistic. But readership really. doesn't mean anything unless you go to Heather's disaggregated notion of what part of the readers, what part the paper actually reading. It's, it's readership too, and circulation is so many it does take you. Who but it doesn't do to what they're actually reading. I mean, no, it's not no, 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 what no, is no, the readership no, but, but of in, in the advertising world, like. Yep. With television, what advertisers yeah. are buying is a potential audience. Yes, um, that doesn't really tell them whether they saw the ad or not. I'm a hard-headed advertiser, and I want to know whether people read the Australian when they say they read the paper, they read the front page, or they turn to page five. Where my but, ad is. But most people do get moved through the paper, and what the thing about yep. readership is, it's measuring a potential audience, as television measures oh, a potential audience. audience per quarter hour, as radio measures a potential audience per quarter hour. So if you're comparing the media, that is the relevant figure. On television now, you can get up to a second. And it's um, readers per copy also... Well, it is still potential. Well, we're not quite perfectly sure they're watching, but it's closer than the... Yeah, uh, no, and, 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 well, you're sure that they, they were, the meter was on. Right. I was just going to mention that... I don't know whether your ad's read. Yeah, it's not within the right. section. Readers per copy varies according to the kind of reader as well. So in the pre-internet era, um, a very important aspect of what was happening for the Australian on different days were, were the sections. You know, there was a medical section, mm -hmm. aviation, higher ed, and one of the really uh, big ones in those days was the IT section, which was... Tuesdays? Tuesdays. Tuesdays. And the interesting thing is that you could see that the different kinds of readers... Uh, even though they, in most cases, going to an office environment, had a different propensity to share it. So the IT, which was just huge, the IT group, and from, you know, I can't remember the numbers, was tens of thousands of people who basically, this was the one buy on the Tuesday, were not big sharers of their one copy. So it didn't actually give us a great readers yeah. per copy. Um, the uh, higher ed section uh, is quite the opposite. As we know, academics are two mean. One weekend, one Australian, and it would cover most of a university campus. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, sorry, one more last question. I just wanted to revive Bridget's yeah. question about the differences in geographical circulation. Yes, in the Australian. that's right. Oh, sorry, I didn't get right. to answer the, that. Sorry, uh, thank you. Wisdom used to be that yeah. it sold better in the Alpha states, which didn't have quality papers. Has that changed recently with the yuck, recent yuckification of the Sydney Morning Herald in the age? <laughs> Is that a technical term? Is that a technical term? <laughs> um, it, look, it, it, still, it still does... 
because most of the population is on the eastern seaboard, frankly, it does most of its audiences on the eastern seaboard. It has a lot, it has a proportionate, disproportionately high readership in Canberra, um, which is to be expected. Uh, of the eastern seaboard, proportionately, it actually does a lot um, higher in Queensland, um, and it always has. It's always been a very strong paper in Queensland. Um, and, you know, it does relatively strongly in, um, you know, it's all, it's kind of the relativities. It's, it has, it's always struggled in Victoria. It still has a very large audience in Victoria, but it's been a market that it's found harder. Um, but that's kind of been changing. So maybe the yuckification of the age in the Sydney Morning Herald might be coming into play. Um, your words, not mine. Um, <laughs> but, um, but that the the changes with the Fairfax titles have been happening for some time. It's, um, the changes, a, a lot of the changes there, a lot of their readership and audience came very much from their their on their big their weekends in particular came a lot from their classifieds, and that has changed the nature of the audience of their papers, and and that has changed things somewhat. I mean that's that's been going on for quite some time. Thanks, Heather. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Sol. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Mary. And a special yeah. thanks to Terry, who put an enormous amount of work bringing the panel together and talking to before they reached, reached uh, where they are now. And I thank you, too, for your indulgence. It's 11 minutes into your afternoon tea time. Sorry, you haven't noticed it. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to The Walkley Talks on iTunes and follow The Walkleys on Twitter and Facebook for new episode updates and be the first to know about upcoming Walkleys news and events.